And so he's just standing there and I'm just watching. So now I'm back. I'm just back at this glassing point. I know he's on the buck. He can't move. We can't talk to each other. I'm just watching this unfold. I have the camera ready to capture whatever might happen. Uh, and I'm just kind of eating snacks and looking through the binos, knowing that at any moment I'm going to see Josh come to full draw and something cool happen. Welcome to Hunting Stories, brought to you by Late to the Game Outdoors. Everyone loves a good story, and hunters have some of the best. Our whole mission is to collect and share great stories from hunters just like you to entertain and keep you motivated all year long. So, pull up a seat around the campfire, because here we go. Well, hey, what's up? All right. We have an incredible story here today, and I wanted to lay this down as soon as I could after returning from the hunt, while it's still all fresh in my mind, because it was just an incredible hunt. This is January Coos Deer in Arizona. Yes, I realize the proper pronunciation is cows, but no one in Arizona says cows, so we're just going to go with coos. Little tiny whitetails, super just on edge and paranoid about everything. Uh, it is, many people have said it is, it is the hardest animal to bow hunt in the world. I don't know about the world, but at least like in the U.S. Um, and people do it. Uh, my buddy Josh does it every year somehow. Uh, and that is, uh, that's what the story is going to be. Um, this is a backcountry hunt with, uh, with my friend Josh from Dialed In Hunter. He's been on before. We'll have him on again. Uh, I do a lot of hunting with him. So he shows up in a lot of stories. Great dude. I'll put a link in the in the description, but uh, go give him a follow if you haven't already. Uh, he's an incredible hunter as well. Let's get into it. Here's, here's the backstory. Here's how I ended up in the backcountry with him on this hunt. Um, Josh asked me if I would come and film for him on this hunt. Uh, he's trying to put together a film that, uh, that would kind of be... He and I both film most of our hunts. We're content creators. It's what we do. Uh, but he was trying to take this one up, you know, kind of a level. So was asking me if I would just kind of be dedicated cameraman, like make my main priority and my focus filming what happens. Uh, and I, I was happy to do it. I love running the camera. I love just being on a hunt. I brought my bow because you just you just never know. Uh, he could tag out on day two and then we're just sitting back there. Um, and he was also kind of looking for a specific type of buck and I was much less choosy. So there was certainly the opportunity that like, Hey, we're, we're not seeing anything big, but here's this little buck over here and I'd go running after him. So there was a chance I would hunt spoiler alert. I, I didn't go on a stalk. My release never left my cargo pocket. It just didn't happen. I was full cameraman and, you know, glasser and helper, uh, which I loved. It was super fun. Anyway, we are, we're down in like Southern Arizona. That's where the coos deer hang out. And me and Josh and then his brother Jake and, and a friend of ours named Gabe, just kind of the four of us, went in there about three miles deep, uh, just kind of off trail, backcountry, set up our camp on this nice little ridge. There was flowing water in the bottom, even though we brought extra water because this is Arizona. It's what you usually do. So I hiked in carrying two gallon jugs in my hand and it made it so that on a five day hunt, I only had to drop down to the creek once to, to fill up some water. And then the final day just before we hiked out, but I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Anyway, we uh, we camp ourselves kind of on this spine, and it's one of those perfect setups where where you camp like 150 yards from where you want to glass from, uh, at least in the first spot. We had a number of pins, you know, we could have cruised further into the wilderness if we weren't seeing what we were looking for, but the very first day it became clear, oh, there are plenty of nice bucks right where we are, so we never really had to leave. Okay, so we hike in on a, a Sunday, you know, we arrive at the trailhead not long after sunrise, get all our stuff together, shoot the bows, make sure everything's going well. Then we make our hike, uh, get in, get, get camp set up, get some lunch, like just kind of all that business, get ourselves situated back there. It's the middle of the day, so, you know, probably nothing much going on, but uh, made our way over to the glassing spot by about two-ish uh, and just started started glassing the hills and uh, pretty quickly, you know, about 3, 3.30, deer started getting up and moving around and we were already picking out bucks. Uh, and it was one of those hunts where the entire week we were there, uh, there, there's just so many bucks and so many good bucks in this spot that uh, we, we just kept having those situations where two guys think they're looking at the same buck and they're talking about where he is and what he's doing. And then they realize, oh, wait, no, you're you're looking at one who's heading to the right. Well, mine's mine's coming downhill. Uh, we must be looking at different bucks. Uh, it's incredible. Great problem to have. I love a target rich environment. Anyway, that first evening we're glassing, uh, we're looking at some bucks that are kind of far off. And then uh, pretty quickly, Josh just looks over and says, oh, dude, there's there's a nice buck right on this closest ridge. So we're kind of looking across uh, this big cut with a river in it. <clears throat> and uh, he just sees on this very first closest hill to us, there's this buck pushing a couple does. And so he quick like gets up, grabs his bow. And so my job is just grab the camera, follow after him. We leave our packs. We leave everything there because it's that close to where we are. I kind of dip behind the hill and make this big loop around to try to head them off. Uh, by the time we crept up to where we thought they would be coming out, they were gone. Uh, not sure if they saw us and spooked or if just, you know, in the chaos of that buck pushing does around, they just went up and over a different area, but, uh, but they were gone. But exciting first, you know, we had been hunting for half an hour and we're already like running after a nice buck. So uh, that next morning, the first like full day of hunting, again, just bucks everywhere. Uh, and that morning we glassed uh, another really nice buck, kind of uh, pushing does around. We just decided to like take our time. Uh, he wasn't in a very, you know, he was moving around quite a bit and wasn't in a super huntable spot. So we just decided to wait and see what he did. And he kind of dipped back behind this ridge down to this area where you could see on the map is kind of this like bowl area back behind a couple of cuts. So we thought, okay, that's got everything he needs. He's probably going to push it based on the time of morning. He's going to push his does down there. They'll hang out. And we began to make a plan for that evening where we could, you know, wrap around, head over and sit over where the general area he went, try to glass him when he gets up and see if we can make a play. And so that's what Josh and I did. Uh, and unfortunately, we never saw him. So we, we were glass, you know, we ran into some does, not sure if it was his does or different ones. Uh, but that bowl, like it was kind of a big bowl that had some rolling little hills within it. And so we would kind of come up each, you know, crest each little hill and look in and, and expect this will be the spot where he's at. And, uh, just didn't, he was never there. And then finally, uh, we got kind of a beat on some does that were coming down over this, the biggest cut in there. And it was one that was actually within view of, of the other guys back at, back at the glassing point, back at camp. And they were watching us 
as we kind of crept down and, and Josh was stalking along and I was just keeping in step with him running the camera. And what we, we never saw, we saw some does eventually kind of bust out of the bottom and go running across. Uh, evidently that big buck was in there with them. And so they watched us, you know, coming down over the top of this buck, getting closer than we realized we were, but it was a pretty steep drop. Um, there were, you know, some junipers and stuff in the way. So, so we never saw it, but they watched us and thought they were about to watch Josh shoot this buck. But eventually they realized something was going on and, uh, took off as coos deer always do. So that was, that was the first full day, day two of the hunt, technically. Day three was pretty action-packed, um, at least for Josh and for me as a, like a glasser filmer type person. So <clears throat> Josh actually made two big stocks that day. <laughs> um, and, and this is the first time we know for sure we saw this buck named, that we named Tuesday because it was Tuesday and, you know, Tuesday Coos Day. It just makes sense. Uh, but he was just this big, gnarly, like super wide, thick antlers. Uh, when we first saw him, we thought he was just a gigantic two, uh, like a like a fork, but on steroids, uh, like just never kind of sprouted that third time for whatever reason. But just, I mean, huge, wide. You could just tell kind of gray in the face, the way he moved around. This was an old buck. And so uh, we see him in the morning of day three. And, and he's kind of up pushing some does around, doing some stuff, but they're not moving as, they're not covering as much ground. They're just kind of in this area. He's sort of chasing does around in a circle. And so Josh goes on over there to try to, to kind of do the button hook up and over and come down from the top. Um, he gets, uh, he gets busted by some does on his way over there. Like they, he didn't, he didn't know there were some extra does there and they took off and took everyone with them. He comes all the way back to the glassing point real quickly. It's still early enough. We glass up another nice buck in a different cut, and he runs over there to try to get on him. Uh, and unfortunately, what happened there is I was standing back watching, and he went, tried to go up and over. And after he had you know, left, he was halfway over there. That buck keeps pushing these does, and he's actually going further down the mountain. Um, so by the time Josh gets all the way over to the top where he's supposed to be coming down in on them, they have disappeared down into a cut and, uh, and we just signaled him. So we had worked out kind of specific signals to use hanging game bags in a tree so he could glass back to where I was and kind of get, a get some instruction, uh, either just from the, the bags in the tree or where they're placed, or, you know, I would just take another bag in my hand so he could see my hand moving and I could direct him, you know, go, go down, go right, whatever. Uh, it ended up working out really well. So little lesson right in the middle of this, if you're hunting as a team and you don't have cell reception and or radios and, or that kind of communication is illegal or unethical where you are, um, this is a great system to use <laughs> just a uh, like kind of put your your navy seal sign language together just agree on it whatever it is like this is what this means uh and and use it because then the hunter the guy on the stock can always look back get you in the glass can clearly see what you're trying to tell them uh it's great anyway so two stocks blew up that day nothing happened uh that evening we were glassing and and this was like we would pretty much hang out at the glassing point. Like there wasn't a lot of go back to camp, take a nap. Uh, it, the days are short. Uh, it was full sunshine. It was warm enough, but not so warm that, I mean, 
at any point in the day, you could usually at least pick up a couple does moving around or something. Uh, so we kind of just sat there and glassed most of the time, maybe dozed off at the glassing point for a minute here or there. But uh, that evening, uh, we, we watched some deer, but it was getting late. There were none that were close enough to really make a move on. So we were just, you know, keeping tabs on where they were at. Day four is the big day. And this is uh, the, this was the day that, uh, that Jake and Gabe, the other two guys in our party, had to leave. So they were able to hunt the morning uh, and take off. And, and sadly, I'm not covering a lot of what they did. They each went on a few stalks and sort of we ended up kind of splitting our our foursome into two teams. So someone would stalk and the other person would hang back and signal them. Uh, and so Jake and Gabe kind of made up a team and Josh and I made up a team. Uh, they, they chased some bucks. They chased some nice bucks. Uh, they, they got into like 100, 150 a couple times. Uh, just never were able to, you know, close that gap and seal the deal. Because again, these are a, a jittery, on-edge animal. Anyway, that morning, uh, Josh is, uh, I mean, we're glassing. And, and I glass up uh, Tuesday again. This, this buck that we've been looking at for a couple days now uh, that Josh has already made at least one play on and just hasn't been able to seal the deal. And I catch him just kind of walking through this cut, uh, this little in between some hills. It's really thick with junipers and oak trees. And, uh, and he, I just kind of catch him feeding through. There's does up above him, but he's not really paying attention. He's not pushing does this day. He doesn't really seem to care. I mean, they're around, but his focus is just kind of on feeding and staying in this, the shady stuff. Like he is a smart old buck. And so uh, I'm watching him and he's not, not covering a lot of ground, just kind of going from tree to tree, but really just taking his time. So, uh, Josh decides to go make a run, uh, to get in on him. And, uh, and I sit back and watch and film. And so, I see Josh finally get to the top and there's this bench that kind of, he was going to head over to the right, get up on their level and then use this bench and some cover to kind of like creep his way along and come down into where they are. Well, by the time he gets to the top and he's kind of dropping his pack and getting ready to start to move in, uh, this little buck comes chasing some does up and over the backside of the hill over to, to buy where Tuesday is. Tuesday's the buck in case you forgot, because I know that sounds weird to just talk about a day of the week. Uh, anyway, now Tuesday, who that morning had not really cared about does, he did care that there was this little buck pushing does. And so he gets up, comes out of the cover, doesn't even run. He just sort of like walks confidently over towards that little deer. Uh, and that little buck just hangs his head. They don't fight. They don't come in contact. Little buck just hangs his head and walks back over the way he came, leaving his does right there. Uh, Tuesday is the king of the mountain and every other buck seems to know it. Uh, so little buck leaves, but now Tuesday's no longer down in the cut in all this thick stuff. He's up top with these does and he's kind of out in the open. And so is Josh. I mean, he has some, he's kind of, kind of trying to go from, you know, tree to tree, use some cover, but I can tell like the does and Tuesday are sort of looking back the direction that Josh is coming from. And even though he's, you know, 150, 200 yards out, like they, they see stuff going on. And so they, they semi bust out of there. Like they're not, you know, just hauling down the mountain, but they start to like make pretty good pace. Like let's get out of here. And so Tuesday kind of runs back down into the first cut I saw him in. I watch him walk, 
just kind of trot behind this this big pile of boulders with a tree growing out of it. Uh, he disappears back into that. The does follow him and then keep running on out of the cut and across the next hillside. And I was watching and scanning, uh, doing everything I could to, to follow Tuesday, but I never saw him leave that cut. Like I just saw him walk back in there and vanish into the thick stuff. Uh, all of his does took off. But it seemed like he stayed put. So it's very possible that I just missed him. Like he ran out of there and I just didn't see it. But I was reasonably sure. I think this smart old buck was willing to like, yeah, let the ladies just keep running. You do your thing. His move is I'm just going to walk into this thick stuff and just hole up and no one's ever going to find me was his plan. So I'm signaling Josh that, okay, they're not where they were. They have moved, but keep on going. And so he keeps stalking his way down and he finally, he's coming down the spine right next to this cut where I saw the buck disappear into. And so he's making his way down and, you know, creeping a few steps, going real slow uh, and what every now and then would glass and look back at me for direction. And so I would guide him, you know, okay, keep moving down into your left. And he finally got to where he was like right next to this pile of rocks and the big tree that I saw the buck disappear behind. And so he, he starts to move down a little bit, almost like he's going to go past it. Fortunately, he stopped and glassed back my direction. And so I could signal him, no, you're, you're right on it. I need you to move straight to your right. Uh, and so he, he turned, he did that, and, and he crept up and over the exact path that I saw that buck go in on. And so I'm watching him through the glass and he's, he's looking around and he's, he's being slow and careful, but I can just kind of tell he's not, he doesn't see him. He's not on something. Uh, and so then I see this move that makes sense, but I don't know that I would have thought of it. Uh, he, he bends down, picks up a rock and just lobs it into that cut, like just trying to flush something out. So if this buck is in here, I'm going to toss this rock. Maybe he'll stand up or he'll do, you know, he won't probably won't just sprint out of there, but it'll trigger some motion so that Josh can get eyes on him. And he tosses the one rock and looks around. I see him bend down, toss another rock, looks around, and then he starts moving again. Uh, and it's not, he's still going slow and methodical, but it's not like his body language does not say, oh, I see this buck, I'm moving in to kill him. And so immediately I think, oh man, the, the buck busted. Like I didn't, I didn't see him go with the does, but he must've just taken off with the does. And here I am guiding Josh into an empty cut. And so he kind of wraps around this tree and looks from another direction. And then I see him bend down and pick up one more rock and just heave it kind of in a different part of the cut. And then suddenly I can just see after he throws that rock, I see him stiffen and everything becomes a hundred times slower than it already was. Like he's really good at stalking. He moves slow. He moves carefully, but he slowed down by like another 200%. And I could just tell by the way he's locked in and frozen as slowly as he moved to his rangefinder. I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's on the buck. And so what I now know from talking to him is he was actually 15 yards behind that buck. Like he was just on the other side of that big tree that Josh was next to. And when he threw that third rock, the buck didn't even get up. He just saw the huge rack of antlers just turn to look at where that rock landed. And so now he knows that buck is right there. So Josh is now standing kind of out in the open 15 yards from this buck and he has no shot. Like he can just kind of see the head and the antlers mixed up in the middle of this thick tree and he's just waiting. And so I, I watch through the glass and I film, uh, but I, I just see him for about two hours standing there 
Uh, and you can see as I'm glassing him, I see him like slowly trying to shift his weight, uh, stretch his legs a little bit. Like it's gotta be so uncomfortable to just stand in direct sunlight, not able to move, uh, holding his bow, just waiting for this buck to do something. And I mean, at this point it's like 10 30, 11 o'clock, like the, the buck, unless something happens, he's not getting up for hours. So Josh is just committed. Like this is a huge buck. Uh, he, once he finally got eyes on him, he's like, this is a big, thick, hefty, you know, biggest buck he's ever seen on the hoof is what he told me. And so he's just standing there and I'm just watching. So now I'm back. I'm just back at this glassing point. I know he's on the buck. He can't move. We can't talk to each other. I'm just watching this unfold. I have the camera ready to capture whatever might happen. Uh, and I'm just kind of eating snacks and looking through the binos knowing that at any moment I'm going to see Josh come to full draw and something cool happen. Are you a new hunter or even a guy with some miles under his boots who's still just trying to figure it out? I get it. I've been there. I'm an adult onset hunter who spent the last 15 years learning how to hunt. And so I wrote the book, How to Hunt, A Total Beginner's Guide to Hunting Big Game, as the resource I wish existed all those years ago when I first started. Whether you're planning to chase elk with your bow in the west, or you're hunting for whitetails back east, this book will take you from knowing absolutely nothing to your first harvest. It's packed with hunting stories, and plenty of those times where I royally screwed up, you'll leave with a sound strategy for hunting big game, and have plenty of laughs along the way. Grab a copy today at latetothegameoutdoors.com slash howtohuntbook. So he stands there for about two hours. Finally, I see him start to, to move kind of up and around to the other side of this tree. And so I'm, obviously something's going on. I'm just, I'm not sure what. So he moves up to the other side of this tree. He's, his arrow's knocked. He's ready to go. But he doesn't draw. He doesn't shoot. He turns back and goes, like, wraps back around the tree to go back to the exact place he was in. And right about the time he's moving back there, I'm still scanning the rest of the cut trying to see. I see this buck spit out the bottom of this cut. So it worked its way down the mountain. There were this patch of, or like kind of this row of really thick brush. And then this, op like this opening at the bottom where the brush kind of ends. And I see the buck pop out of there. And I think, oh no, he busted him. Like all that time sitting there, he just, it's not going to happen. I don't know how, but he busted him. So I've, I've got the camera rolling and I move it down to try to focus in on the buck and think, well, at least I'll get the buck blown out of there. It'll be good footage. Uh, we'll, we'll just find another buck and we'll do it again. The buck kind of comes out of the cut and up over onto the, the hillside, just on the other side of the cut from Josh, like down the hill and across the cut. <laughs> and he just kind of walks up a few steps and then looks back to see what's going on. So in the glass, I kind of look back up to see what Josh is doing because uh, it's hard to judge space when you're, I mean, they're probably from me, they're seven, 800 yards, uh, you know, as the crow flies. Uh, so it's hard to judge distance at that kind of a speed or that kind of a distance. But as I look back at Josh, he's at full draw on this buck. And I think, oh my gosh, this is, this is happening. Like he still has a shot. That's amazing. Uh, Josh is a super ethical guy. Uh, so I know that he's not just like lobbing arrows at, you know, 150 yards or something like he, he keeps himself within his pins, 70s, the max that he tries to shoot an animal at. Um, and, but I'm, as I'm estimating, I'm like uh, in the glass, it looks like he's over a hundred yards away. Clearly he's closer than that. And so what Josh tells me is that he, the, the deer walked up that hill a few steps, turned broadside to look at him. Josh comes to full draw. And as he's like settling in with his pin on him, the deer turns 
uh, it's not, doesn't even start to really move, but like turns as if he's going to walk straight away. So he's just looking at his butt. Uh, so Josh lets down. She's not going to take a Texas heart shot. Then the deer turns again, like kind of quartering away to take another look just to see what whatever he heard or saw or sensed was there. He's trying to get eyes on it. So deer turns again, gives presents another shot. Josh draws again. And as I'm, I'm just watching all this through the glass and I see I see the arrow release like I see him send it and I see and I look back to the deer who's now you know kind of running across that hill away from him obviously because he just got shot and uh then he, he kind of runs over and after he runs for a little bit then he kind of slows to a he's not staggering really but he slows I can see that he I don't see blood pouring out uh but but I can see that he's you know he's not walking like he's has all of it that he's operating at a hundred percent. Uh, and he, he walks down a little bit further and then he goes behind this cut that's in front of him and I can't see him anymore. So immediately I'm, I mean, I feel like I'm just as excited as Josh must be over there across the cut. Uh, and so he finally, like after all that, he looks back to me. I don't know how to signal him. Like I don't, what just happened? Like how, how can we communicate? Uh, so at this point, like we pull out the in reaches and start texting. And he says, yeah, I, I shot, I know it hit him, might have been kind of far back, a little bit far back, you know, he was quartering away, it was a 70 yard shot, uh, things happen, but uh, essentially he's like, okay, come come over here to where I am, we'll, we'll give him some time, we'll go to the spot where I shot, we'll recreate everything, we'll, we'll pick up some blood, we'll, we'll start the process. So I, I leave all the heavy stuff at the glassing point, because why haul that? Um, I go down and up and, and meet up with where Josh had dropped his pack, which was a long way. Like the poor guy like crept all the way in there, then stood there for two hours, then made the shot. I mean, he was hot and thirsty and hungry because all of his stuff was hundreds of yards across the ridge. Uh, so I, I meet up with him and he's, you know, already replayed it in his mind a thousand times. He's like, yeah, I think it was kind of far back, uh, but he was quartering away. So the arrow should have punched, you know, up into, you know, some lungs or some important stuff. Uh, but we won't know till we go find the arrow. We decided to give him a full two hours from when we shot. So we sit there, eat a little snack, enjoy the shade, uh, you know, talk about everything that just happened. We finally like creep over and just find, okay, here's where he was when, here's where Josh was when he took the shot. Uh, we look down and see he was standing there on the hill. So, so we walk through the cut and go over there and it, he finds his arrow almost immediately, like, especially cause it was a downhill kind of shot. You know, the arrow was five, six yards behind where the buck was when he shot. Uh, and unfortunately the arrow is, you know, it's pretty green. There's some blood on it, but there's a lot of green. Uh, it's just like, yeah, it was, it was far back. He, you know, it, it came in through the guts. Uh, so let's just move carefully, slowly. We start looking for blood and we kind of wrap around this hill the way the deer goes or the way the deer had gone. And right at, like we had not gone very far. We haven't even found blood yet, but we sort of creep up over to where we can see down into the, the cut that I saw the deer walk down into uh, and then Josh signals to like get down, freeze. The buck is right down there. Like he had gone less than a hundred yards and bedded down, but his head is still up and he sees the, the head and the antlers turning and he's in this really tall grass. So he can't even really tell which direction his body is going. He can't see the, the deer's at 76 yards, uh, which is definitely when you're talking about follow-up shots, like that's when we are more than happy to, to roll the sight tape and, you know, take some longer shots just to try to to get an animal down even quicker if you are presented with a follow-up shot. Um, 
but he, he, he can't see like he would just be wildly guessing like, okay, this is probably where his vitals are behind this grass. Let me just send it. Uh, he didn't feel good about taking that. Uh, but I don't know if it's our, our commotion or if he heard us kind of come over, but the deer gets up. Uh, and it's not moving quickly, but like kind of starts to move down. And so Josh is sort of walking along this hill, trying to, to sort of head him off and get a shot. But the deer keeps moving away, goes up to the top of this real small rise, uh, you know, looks back at Josh at 120 yards uh, and just kind of disappears down behind that hill. So at this point, like we are worried. Uh, and we've already bumped this deer. We don't want to mess with him and bump him any further. Uh, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon at this point. So we've got a, you know, hour and a half, two hours max before it's just too dark to see anything. Uh, we decided it would be best not to keep pushing this deer. Like we could have gone down and up to the top of that hill. We just saw him disappear behind, but you know, then we push him even further and, and who knows what's going to happen. So we decide make the tough decision to, to pull back out. Uh, we're pretty sure that deer's going to die. Like Josh could see the wound. It was far back, but he was gut shot. So he's definitely, he's going to die. It's just unfortunately going to take a little bit of time. And it's also cold. And I mean, temps, uh, in overnight were in the like mid thirties. So the meat's going to be fine. Uh, but the smart move is to pull out. So we go back down and, uh, and, and hike all the way back to our glassing spot. And we've got about half hour of light left. And so we think, well, the, the, only thing we can do at this point is just glass. Like, let's just scan the hills, see, maybe we pick them up moving or something. Uh, we're now, from our glassing point, we, we can't see the cut that he disappeared into, but we're kind of one hill removed from it. So we're already kind of making plans for the next morning. We can go around and, you know, hike around, sit on this other ridge, look down into where we saw him disappear into. But for now, let's, let's at least just look. Maybe we get lucky and see something. And so we're, we're at our point for, I think, less than five minutes uh, just glassing. And I'm scanning this hill that's closest to us, which is essentially one, one ridge line over from, from the cut we saw him vanish into that second time. And I pick up, here's this buck taking a few steps, and he beds down under a tree. And I'm staring at him like, Josh, you got, you got to look at this buck. Because uh, as far as I can tell, he's big and thick and wide. And also what sort of a deer is bedding down at 530 in the evening, which is like one of the prime moving around times. Uh, and so he gets glass on him and he's like, that, that is definitely the buck. Like You can see the wound. That, that's him. And so he's too far for us to get to or do anything. You know, he's 500 yards away. We'd have to wrap around. He's spooked. Sunlight is fading. So we made what was the painful but only decision, which is to just watch him. And uh, it, it was not pleasant to watch because he would, he would stand up. He would kind of stagger around for about seven yards or so. He would bed down again. And then he would lay there for a little bit. You could see his mouth was open. He was panting. He, I mean, this is a deer who was dying. Um, and then he would stand up again and walk a little bit. Uh, not so sure on his feet. He would bed back down. Uh, so for the last half hour of light, we just watched that just to see. And, and every time he got up, we thought this will be the time, like, look how much he's staggering. He's, we're going to watch him fall over. We're going to know right where he is in the morning. Um, but until last, the, the very last glassing light, he was doing this routine where he would get up, walk a few steps, lay back down. Um, yeah, again, not fun to watch, but we were just trying to keep eyes on him so that we would have a good place to start in the morning. Um, 
And so finally, it, you know, you just can't see anything through the glass. We make our way back to camp. We're real quiet. We're doing the, the red setting on our headlamps. I have no idea scientifically how they prove that deer can't see that. So not even sure if it works, but it was worth a try. But we're, we're talking quietly. Again, it's just the two of us at this point. The other guys had left uh, early that morning. And uh, so we're just quiet by red headlamps in camp. Uh, and we, were, we had just gotten back to camp. We were starting to sort of get dinner stuff ready. And I hear down in the creek below us, like you could hear water flowing the whole time. But I, he I hear this commotion of it's like hooves and splashing and uh, like it, it sounds almost like multiple deer kind of crossing the creek. But it's coming right down from where we, we saw as we were watching that deer. He was gradually making his way down uh, towards water as wounded animals often do. And so I just like, Josh, do you hear like, did you hear what sounded like? deer crossing the creek or something um like, like it was it was just kind of chaotic and noisy uh but in my head knowing where it came from like that i think that was the buck like he finally made it to the bottom of the creek and he's making his way across and so we're just kind of worried like oh man how much longer is this deer gonna go uh where are we like <laughs> is he gonna go up and in, in, into the next cut like where I, I can't believe this this old tough fighter of a buck so we, uh, we have dinner, uh, kind of turn in, there's nothing else to do. The, the weirdness of this January Arizona hunt is that you have like 14 hours of darkness. <laughs> so you get plenty of sleep. I think like every night we got about 10 hours of sleep because you just, you eat dinner in the dark, you kind of talk for a minute or two and, and then you're kind of tired. You're like, well, it's getting close to eight o'clock better turn in, I guess. Uh, and then we're not getting out of the tent till about six. Cause you don't really have glassing light till closer to seven. Um, so it's a, it's a great hunt. If you're a tired dad who wants to get some longer chunks of sleep, which most of us in that group are anyway, we wake up the next morning, decide, okay, best First thing to do, let's go to the glassing point and just scan. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get lucky and we'll glass him up just laying there dead somewhere. So we glass for about half an hour and we don't turn him up. So we decide let's let's head over. We we at least have these key spots like we know we saw him bed here and we saw him bed here. Uh, so we can go get on blood and start to follow his trail. And we get over there and sure enough, we find that first bed and here's blood lying in it. Uh, and then we walk over to where we saw his bed the second time and there's some blood but there's not a ton of blood between those spots. Like he's not leaving a great trail. It's mostly just when he lays down, we see some blood. Um, and so we start blood trailing and we were trailing this guy for at least an hour and a half. Uh, and it was one of those kind of like hands and knees pin drops here or there. Um, and just trying to determine, okay, where's after we lost sight of him, when it got too dark, where did he go from there? What's his route? Where's he headed? Um, and just, you know, okay, mark this last blood, look all the possible routes, uh, you know, we would wander our way a good ways down. And by the time, you know, after you go 15, 20 minutes, you don't find any new blood. We come back to the last blood we had and, you know, check a different route. And so we're, we're going back and forth and, you know, we're at this point where the last blood we really had was still probably, you know, 15, 20 yards from the bottom of the Creek. And so we finally like just find ourselves near the bottom and we, we finally luck into finding this like this pretty nice little patch of blood 
right above the bottom of the creek. And that leads us to, we can see his tracks. And so we head right down there. And sure enough, you see this kind of tracks where he went and he got a little drink and left some blood. And then he took a few more steps over to this other little pool in the creek, uh, got another drink, left even more blood. Uh, and so we're, we're finally on this, like it, it all happened so fast at this point. We're like, okay, now we've, we've got good blood. We've got easy to see tracks. Uh, this is going to be great. And right about that time, Josh looks up and says, Oh dude, he's right over there. Uh, and then, you know, things happen like emotions, uh, just come flying out, uh, but you know, tears and celebration and, and just the, the impact of the last, I mean, it's, I don't know, 18, 20 hours since he shot that buck. Uh, maybe like 22. Cause he, yeah. Uh, just a long time of, of the post shot and bumping him and worrying and wondering, man, is this, are we going to lose this deer? Uh, we know he's going to die, but, but just a, such a shame for him to go to waste or uh, the coyotes don't think it's waste, but, uh, but we would think it was waste. Um, and, and just, just the elation of finding him right there in the bottom of the creek bed. So fortunately, he didn't uh, die in the water, uh, but just this dry patch of the creek piled up right next to some boulders, leading me to believe that the sound we heard the night before from camp, where it sounded like a bunch of deer, but just kind of chaotically in the bottom of the creek, that was him like kind of staggering around and finally piling up dead in the bottom. And so then we, we go back, we had ditched our packs a while ago because it was clear this blood trail was going to take forever. So we go back and grab our packs and we come down. Uh, there's all sorts of footage and photos and all that stuff to get when you're a content creator. And he, he's down in the middle of this cut in the open sunshine and the day is starting to heat up. So the best thing about coos deer is this is, this is an old, big, massive coos deer, and he's still probably only 100 pounds on the hoof. So we just pick him up, carry him out of the creek over to this nice big patch of shade under this tree, uh, start to work on him. We get him all packed up and split between our two packs. We're right by the creek, so we filter some more water, top off our bladders, because we're supposed to leave this day. So we all we're doing is we're going to hike out of this bottom, back up to camp, then we're going to pack up camp, and then we're going to hike the three miles back to the truck. And, uh, and that goes reasonably smoothly. Uh, the packs were not too terribly heavy. Um, again, with, uh, with not a huge deer, we didn't even, you know, feel like we had to bone them out, just sort of split the meat. Josh took the, the skull and, uh, got back up, packed up camp, hiked back out. Uh, and at this point, his biggest fear at most people's biggest fear when you have a really great spot like that is other people discovering it. Uh, and there's other hunters in the area. So we didn't run into much off trail in the backcountry where we were, but once you kind of hook back up with the trail, now you start to get like hunters on quads or in trucks or, or moving around. Um, and now Josh is walking out with this massive coos rack sticking out of his pack, uh, just trying to keep things uh, on the DL, as the kids say, or used to say, I don't know, I'm old. Uh, either way. It was just an incredible hunt to be a part of. Uh, had so much fun. I'm a huge proponent, I mean, of hunting in general. But but if you have the opportunity to just tag along with someone, especially someone more experienced than you, uh, if they just invite you on, like, hey, you want to come and help class or come hunt with me? Or in this case, hey, come, come film, come run the camera. It's a great thing to do. Uh, not only is it just great to help your friends, it's the right thing to do, but there's so much to be learned and, and so much uh, 
that comes from being part of a team like that. So, uh, I mean, Josh told me multiple times while we were looking for this buck and when we ultimately found him, like in his mind, this was our buck. Like I glassed him and because we're trying to make a film, you know, we usually go by the whoever glasses it gets to stalk it. But when I glassed this big buck, I was like, this will be perfect for the film. You should go stalk him. Um, and then the way that I was able to stay back and guide him in, uh, then, then picking him back up after he was wounded, like it was absolutely a, a team effort. Like Josh would not have been in on this buck. He would not have shot this buck, uh, if it weren't for me being there to help, which I don't say as like, a, Oh, look at me. I say it as a, that's where some of the, the excitement and the value and the meaning comes when, when you get to go just help on a hunt, even if you're not the one hunting. So I would absolutely say, look for an opportunity like that. If one presents itself, absolutely you should go. Like, yes, you want to hunt yourself, uh, but man, there's just a lot of value in, in getting out there, just being out there in any sort of capacity. Uh, man, the, the other lesson is just that um, work out your signals in advance if you're going to hunt as a team like that. Uh, the first day or two, we had some confusion about how many game bags and, and what, it sh what it should do and even just how to signal. Like like a couple of the other guys were working on their communication and and just in the, the signaling, it wasn't clear what direction he was trying to tell him to go. Uh, so Josh and I just kind of real clearly laid out and maybe it helps you. So here was, here was our system. Use it if it helps you. Uh, if you were sitting at our glassing point, there's kind of some cactus and some trees around. So, so when he would go on a stalk, I would hang one game bag, which meant I still see the buck. He's right where we left him or like real close to where we left him, but I've got eyes on him. I know where he is. Then, uh, two game bags hanging kind of on either side of me meant he didn't bust out, but he kind of, but he moved and I've lost sight of him. Like I didn't see him leave. He's in there somewhere, but I don't know exactly where. So I can't really guide you exactly to where he is. Um, and then no game bags. Like if you take them all down means, Hey, he, he blew out the, the jig is up. You might as well come on back. Cause this stock is over. And then, so that was like the, the basic hanging in the tree. He could look back at a quick reference on what's going on with the buck. Uh, the other thing was to signal him. I found that, that it's hard. You've got to remember like there, he's freehand glassing, right? So would kind of like rest his binos on his bow and look back from a standing position. So it's already like a slightly unstable, it's hard to pick up motion. If you imagine trying to glass a deer seven or 800 yards away, uh, it, it's not going to be super clear what's going on. Uh, so just kind of making some subtle hand gestures isn't going to work. So, so we started where I would hold in my hand another game bag. So there's this really clear white, you know, it, it pops off the scenery. And then in huge, exaggerated, as big and as slow as I can make it, like I want you to, you know, I would hold it up if I wanted them to move down and to the left. Like I would hold the game bag up high for a second, then clearly move that down into the left which would be down into his right, uh, and do that multiple times. Uh, and, and he said, after we kind of linked back up, it's like, that was, that was perfect. I knew exactly what you wanted me to do. And I watched it work as he was about to go past that tree where the buck was. I, he stopped and looked and I was able to redirect him and he changed course and went right back where I wanted him. So I think the key to that is not just saying like, Hey, go, you know, go stalk this thing. I'll guide you in. You need to clearly determine here's how we're going to communicate when you have long distance nonverbal signals as the only way uh, to talk to each other. Uh, so 
that is essentially how all that went down. Uh, I'm super pumped just to be a part of it. I think we got some incredible footage of it. Uh, I'll keep you posted on on how that footage is going to be used as as things get closer and as as I get more information. Uh, but I think it's going to be an incredible film. So uh, I'll point you towards that uh, when when we're all ready with that. But as always, thanks so much for listening. Hope this story uh, pumps you up. Uh, like I said last episode, we are back in season two and we are getting a whole bunch of stories put together. Uh, so I'm starting to set up some appointments to to record and get other people's stories. I still have kind of a, a few of my own old stories that I haven't even told yet because things were crazy, but we don't need to go into that again. Anyway, uh, new episodes coming out every week for the foreseeable future in this season. Thank you guys. Love so much that that you take the time to listen and I hope you get something out of it. And I will talk to you guys later. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hunting Stories. And if you want to stay up on what we're doing with the podcast or anything else going on with Late to the Game, go ahead and check us out at latetothegameoutdoors.com or give us a follow on Instagram at latetothegameoutdoors. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.